0: Oh boy, this is gonna be this is gonna get awkward real fast. Hi, hey, hello. Welcome back to episode 24 of Trail Society, brought to you by our friends over at Free Trail. I'm Corinne Malcolm. I'm Keely Henninger. I'm Hillary Allen. You guys sound so excited about your names this week. This is great. Um, okay, we've got a lot to talk about today, but first and foremost, we've got some exciting news. We kind of teased it uh, a couple of weeks ago. We are working with some new sponsors moving forward for the rest of the year. And the first one is the kind folks over at, at Athletic Greens. That's right. We are the umpteenth podcast brought to you by Athletic Greens, but... I've had a lot of fun working with their product, trying their product. Um, I traveled with it to Tahoe. It was kind of nice to have in my, in my bag for that trip. And I'm wondering how you guys have been feeling about introducing athletic greens into your daily routine.
1: Yeah, I'm loving it. It's a. I have something that I've incorporated this year um, is being very diligent about recovery drinks. And so it's really cool to, I just add athletic greens to it. It's like adds just so much extra. It's like oomph to my recovery drink, I feel like. So that's just a really easy routine. And I actually also brought it um, with my, in my van. So I have like a little, a little stash there. So it's great. I can open up my little recovery, um, cabinet and you know, there it is. So,
2: <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's been helping me after runs as well, because I just pour the powder into the lovely bottle. It comes with, with my goo roctane recovery mix, and then basically mix the two of them with water right after the run. And then everyone kind of looks at me weird at the trailhead. Cause it's a green, like To go smoothie, but it keeps super well. It doesn't get gross at all. And then you have like a pretty nice tasting recovery drink that has way more vitamins and minerals than just your regular one. So that's been, that's been really fun for me as well.
0: Yeah. I've been using it as my morning, my morning pick me up. It's a thing that I drink first thing in the morning on an empty stomach. It helps me absorb all those wonderful vitamins and nutrients that are within it. Um, and then I, I've been trying to save my coffee for my post-exercise thing. I know I'm a weirdo who can, who can run before having that their daily, their morning Java. But, um, I found that that's been a good balance of getting that hydration kicked off too for me. Cause otherwise I don't drink water. It appears at all. I'm like, I'm a coffee and wine person apparently. Um, but we're excited to kind of get to share this new product with you. Um, you're probably not, fam- you're probably not unfamiliar with it. I am, I am certain, but because we're partnering with them, you have you can take advantage of their offers as well. And to make that super easy, um we are gonna have a link in our show notes, but essentially you can all visit athleticgreens.com slash trail society. Um again that's athleticgreens.com slash trail society and not only will you not only with with your purchase you're also gonna get a one year free supply immune supporting vitamin D. So it's in a cool dropper form. I'm not much for, you know, having a whole bunch of pill bottles lying around. So I think it's kind of a nice one, two punch between the athletic greens drink and having that little vitamin D pick me up.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And and we're really excited to to work with them. They are really excited about our message. And so we're glad that we got new partnerships because we're going to be able to bring you guys more content and put more time towards it. So it's really exciting.
0: Yeah, I think we're gonna dive into races to kick things off because that's what everyone was doing this past weekend. I was talking about races and the two of you lovely ladies were running races. Um Born to Start with some international flair. While things were going over on over here stateside, um, the next race in the Golden Trail series was was well underway in Chamonix. That was the Marathon de Mont Blanc. Uh, they actually had to cancel the 90 K that goes along with it due to high winds, which is a super bummer. I had a bunch of teammates that were supposed to race the 90 K and then last minute they found out that the race was not going to happen, but the race itself, the marathon race, which is a big, I think feature every summer over there in June was spicy. Did you guys get to see any of the footage? I mean, obviously you're busy racing, but did you see any of the videos post-production from them?
1: I didn't get to see anything. I just was kind of looking at looking at Instagram or individual people's kind of updates. Um, I, to be honest, right after my race, we finished in a, in a library with Internet and I just immediately put on the YouTube and the live stream for Western States. So, <laughs>
0: which, we'll, which we'll talk about in a second, but, um, Jonathan Albin, who can maybe do no wrong. Um, he's so talented living in Norway. So talented, um, won the race, uh, in about with, with, about four minutes to spare over David, who we talked about, um, for the last golden trail series race, um, in second and Rui Ueda from Japan in third, I think everyone loves Rui Ueda, um, super, super talented, Runner, um, David David moved into or Davide moved into first overall in the series, which is, you know, kind of this ser- like I guess summer long battle between everyone. So that's exciting. And then in the women's race, um, Sarah Alonso, the young Spanish athlete who had such a brilliant run at Zagama, won overall. I think she won by six minutes. Um, I watched her descent because normally this race ends on uphill, but this year they had to descend all the way to the city center, which if you've been out there for UTMB is a gnarly descent back into town. Um, she actually fell. There's this footage of her like totally belly flopping on the downhill. And like popping back up, rounding the switchback and someone throwing her bib at her because her bib literally like got ripped off her sports bra. And she just like tucks it under her sports bra and like keeps running. She wins by six minutes. She is now the overall leader in that series. Caitlin Fielder of New Zealand was second. She's now second overall in the series. She also had a great Zagama. And then the pride and joy of the USA, (laughs) Danny Moreno, who I don't know, I'm her biggest fan, I think, (laughs) went from seventh to third in the final part of the race. And there's this photo of her coming towards the finish and she's literally screaming as she's running to the finish line. She pushed all the way through the line. I was, I have chills right now talking about it, but her third place I thought was really, really exciting. And then honorable mention for our U S listeners, MK Sullivan, former UNR coach, wonderful human being finished ninth in the women's race. And I think that that definitely deserves an honorable, honorable shout out for our North American listeners.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It was bonkers. I don't know. I think I might be Danny's second biggest fan. So we
0: (laughs) We can, we can fight about it. I think that's totally fine. (laughs) Danny's great. She's amazing. Yeah. And then we mentioned that both these ladies were racing, both Hillary and Keely were busy racing and Hillary, there was a major throwdown at the San Juan solstice. Oh yeah. (laughs) Can you, can you tell us just a little, we're going to talk about the race in detail in a little bit, but can you just give us a rundown of, of how the women's and men's race panned out for the podium?
1: Yeah, oh, man, it was actually really exciting because, um, you never know if someone's going to start to uh, come up to a start line, but Sam on solstice, like I was in it. Um, Claire Gallagher was in it. Hannah Allgood was in it. Who, if you guys remember her, she won, she most recently won the Gorge 100 K and so talented. So talented, um, and it's funny. She's coached by Megan Roche. Claire's coached by David Roche. And Claire was like, "David didn't even give me a heads up about this girl," <laughs> and I was like, "Well, I am. She's really good. Like, let's go." And um, and then uh, oh, even Sandy Napop-, Napop was there. Some really strong local runners from Boulder were also there. So it was like one of the most stacked. Um yeah Nikki Ni- Nikki
0: La Rochelle ran the race yes, too. Nikki
1: La Rochelle, she's there she's so on talented. exactly, she's on the the skimo like the national skimo team. Mom yeah,
0: so, mom of two. Like, yep. Dang.
1: She's so strong. She came in sixth woman. Um but it was just such a strong field and so like I was really excited uh to to line up there cuz it's like it's a tune-up race for me for like you know for UTMB but like you want to run and compete and do well. And so it was really cool to have like these ladies, like just to kind of, Go back and forth if you couldn't really relax for a second. Um, obviously I didn't see the men's side, but <laughs> we were actually all pretty close. Like um, I know Hannah, she finished first uh sixth overall. Claire was seventh overall. They Claire was like closing hard at the end. Um, I was just outside the top 10th and 13th, but um, we were all pretty close to like the top of the field anyway. So that was really exciting. Um
0: the, the and, I don't know if you've read, but Hannah Allgood's Instagram post is so great. She's like I yeah. oh, look over my shoulder and I see, I don't know you're all at. To- pacers at San Juan Solstice because
1: the last 10 miles
2: yeah but
0: she like looks over her shoulder and she like sees Claire's blue shirt and she's like we gotta go and just
2: like <laughs> takes off like with I how mean, many miles to go do you know in town was, yeah. yeah like
0: oh, wow right towards the very end like just it was a nail biter it sounds mm-hmm. like
2: cool. yeah.
1: yeah because uh, Claire at the end of the race we're talking and, and Claire said that like she knew that Hannah was like there and so she her her partner was crewed for her and he was not ready to pace her she was like you're pacing me let's go because she like needed I think like the pick-me-up and so like she started hammering and like she knew she's maybe a couple minutes ahead of her but she like kept she said she was like borderline being reckless on at the end of the race because she was like where is this girl and then she finally saw her as they entered like the town and then by then it was like a little bit too late but like it was it was pretty cool I didn't I didn't have a pacer for the last bit. I actually admittedly kind of like. Let up a little bit at the end. I was like, I'm just gonna run this in,
0: <laughs> but um, it would historic be historic like, times too, right? Like, right, has all ran that like was, the some yeah. of like the three of the five fastest times in history at the race, and it's been around for a while.
1: Exactly. Well, three of the four fastest times. So I actually I have I got the fourth fa- fastest time, finishing third in the race's history. Courtney still has the course record, but Hannah mm-hmm. uh, she finished 9:15, and that was the second fastest time, and then Claire's time was the third fastest time ever on this course. So, Crazy. yeah. Yeah. And Sandy's time too is like, you know, normally typically a winner um like a like 10 30 35 has won this this um race in the past and Sandy wow. ran a 10 23 yeah. or something like this. So you know mm-hmm. she ran a fast time as well on this course.
0: And we should add real quickly before we mention the men's podium is that I just want to give a shout out. Dina Fit has picked up some athletes recently, including Hannah Allgood, mm-hmm. um, this spring and then David Sinclair, um, as well recently, I think has joined that team. So Vibram's also making some moves. They picked up Alyssa Clark, um, another Boulder athlete whose name is escaping me and she definitely l- listens to this. So she will let me know. Um, <laughs> but, but, but I feel like Vibram and Dina Fit have made some moves recently that are very exciting and, yeah. and Hannah Allgood. Is included in that mix, which is very cool.
1: Yeah. And so Hannah, is heading out to CCC. So we'll see her there.
0: Cool. What about the men's race? Could just give us the rundown of the top three there.
1: Yeah, so the men we've got John Henrik Her- Herrick, sorry, <laughs> Herrick. Um, if you guys know him, um, he used to be a professional cyclist, a super strong uh, runner. Um, and now also. Um, so he finished in eight hours eighteen minutes, and then Ryan Sullivan finished eight twenty-three and Carlos Rubal, uh, Rubal finished at eight fifty, eight hours mm-hmm. fifty. So are those local guys, Do you know <clears throat> them or yeah, those are those are all like pretty local guys. I think actually it's really funny to look at the like <laughs> the the entrance, List and see how many are. It's like just it's so many Colorado locals. Um, so we have a lot of strong runners here, and those are like some pretty solid times too on that course.
0: Yeah, and not a huge spread over a fifty mile distance too, which mm-hmm. is impressive. Mm-hmm. But speaking of women running fast times, um, we're <laughs> going to talk about Western states, and we're just going to give a rundown of the top ten men and top ten women. I'm sure you are all familiar with what happened there. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you hate Western States and avoid all media coverage this weekend. I don't know. I just got to assume that we've got a little bit of everything listening right now. Um, but I, I saw Anne-Marie Madden who finished 11th. So I'm just gonna give her a quick shout out on the infield as I was like done with my live broadcast shift. And I said, I said, Anne-Marie Madden, hi. And she's like laying in fetal position. She's by Ruth and Ellie. And I said, I want to congratulate you on being the, like the fastest 11th place finisher ever yeah. because she was under 1940. Mm-hmm. and. Before 2018, like a 20 hour race would be Mm -hmm. third. So Mm -hmm. like, we just want to point out once again, like not as hot as last year, but pretty darn hot 2018 esque temperatures. I was definitely melting on the track and the men's spread this year was so much like closer together. Like good job, men. Thank Mm -hmm. you for not having the, I called it, I called it
2: in the beginning because I could see probably the top aside from the top four men. I saw every single man till mile 10. Yeah, like they, they were smart girls. We were like, "Wow, I think the smarter. guys are being smarter this year," <laughs> which it shows in the results. The first woman wasn't until uh, like thirteenth or fourteenth overall. Which, which last year Beth was like sixth or seventh. Yeah, so. and
0: then, well, I think we had three women in the top ten last year. Like this was a much more, I would say, normal year as far as where women finished in the overall, mm-hmm. Um, and the men ran a smarter race than they did in. 2021, be it just like being rusty, not racing in 2020, I don't know, but very proud of the men's field for holding it together this year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Women still had, I mean, one and two had some of the, the, like we're within the top 10 fastest times ever. And then the spread down to 10th and 11th in the women's field was just bonkers, like so close so close, and like so fast for, for like missing out on a top 10. Like, I can't mm-hmm. believe that Anne-Marie Madden was under 1940 and didn't finish in the top 10 like very mm-hmm. indicative of like the 2019 men's race where there was like a all out drag race for positions like 8 through 13th. Yeah.
2: Like super yeah, super. I mean, what the media kind of missed I think just cuz of like the differences in cameramen towards the end was Tyler Green was like a minute back from Arlen with a mile to go Yeah, and they were closed pushing like so 40 hard. seconds and came in like what 80 meters behind him on the track. But like at that point you can't catch him, but it was just so insane how fast they must have been running. His pacer mm-hmm. got dropped, looked so ragged. I was like, oh my goodness, what happened? He's
0: like, we were sprinting. <laughs> yeah, which which they've had to do before. Crazy. There have been yep. in, in 2019, like the dudes that were duking it out for like eighth through 13th, they all dropped their pacers at the top of Ruby Point mm-hmm. because they were mm-hmm. running so hard. So crazy at that point. Yeah. But we'll give a quick rundown of the top 10 and then we're gonna dive more <laughs> into Western states. Coverage in particular, Keely's race out there more than anything, um, in just a little bit. But um, Ruth Croft, our queen, mm-hmm. our T-Rex queen, um, mm-hmm. won in what we believe is the third, third, fastest, the third time fastest time yep. ever. Um, she was running Beth Pascal splits for much of the race. Um, and then I think fell off a little bit at the end, but she mm-hmm. PR'd by 12 minutes over last year. So she now has two of the fastest times mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm at Western so cool. States um <laughs> Elsa McDonald gives me f- hope for the future of my running career at 41 years old she ran the 10th fastest time ever <laughs> yeah. in 17:46 46 like yeah. was close you know not necessarily closing to Ruth but was like running she ran oh such gosh. a brilliant she back so half smart. of the race she ran yeah. so
2: smart yep yeah. yeah it was so impressive to watch
0: um, Marianne Hogan, if you don't follow her on Instagram, you should, she was yeah. third and she posted the funniest reel of her trying to <laughs> move after the race. It's pretty all time. She was third. Um, Louisa Bueller of Switzerland was fourth. Emily Hoggood fifth. And we should point out that means that it was New Zealand, Canada, Canada, Switzerland, Zimbabwe for the top mm-hmm. five women. That's pretty cool. Which means our I'm going to say show favorite. Maybe we love all these women, but maybe show favorite goes to Leah Yingling um, mm. running the most brilliant back 40 miles yes. um, ever. She was sixth top American. Um, really, really happy for Leah Yingling. Um, She's followed by Taylor Nolan in seventh Camille Heron stuck it out for a top 10. Like so Gosh. happy to see I'm Camille so
2: proud of her. most hero. improved.
0: From 2021 in eighth, um, she had a lie down at Cal 2 for a little bit, um, which was Some a little bit scary. Yeah, yeah, a little scary to, to hear that she was taking a lie down at Cal 2, but got back up and made her way to the track to finish eighth. Um, Katie Asmith um, fought through GI distress, it sounds like, for the back 50 miles. Sounds like both ends of GI distress out there and a, and a tweaked foot, it sounds like, in ninth. And then from France, um, Camille um, Um, rounded out the top 10 and they, yeah, in 1934. So I want to say, you know, Anne-Marie Madden, once again, in 11th missed out on the top 10 by like three and a half minutes. Mm -hmm. So they fought really hard and that was just a very impressive, once again, the women, very impressive in 2022. Anything to add to that as far as just being baffled and blown away?
2: No, I just, I wanted to add that. Like, I just feel like the women ran such a smart race. A lot of them were just so patient all day. And it paid off, and they started picking off people. And so it's like a good reminder that during a one hundred, you can make up so much ground. You can, cool.
0: yeah, you can run really fast miles towards end of west, a race like western states, and and move up. I mean, we'll talk about this in the men's race too. But Tyler Green executed yeah. on that in a big way again this mm-hmm. year, like just yeah. steadily moving up all day. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't. I think I think we all knew that Adam Peterman could win.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Did we? Were we confident it would happen? Maybe not, but um. I don't know. Everything this kid touches turns to gold. Is that appropriate? <laughs> yeah. The first and
2: he's and he's so humble. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He Started so off nice. like fourth or fifth.
0: Yeah. Didn't so start nice. off
2: with an ego, which I feel like is mm-hmm. really pertinent to racing 100 miles. Well, because I think mm-hmm. people who come in here super super gifted, maybe never running before, a lot of times want to lead because they're used to running really fast, 50 miles or 100 k's, and he just sat back for a while. And then started picking up the pace, which was just so admirable to see for someone who was ranked so high and had been winning all these other races. He didn't
0: make like watching him run through these aid stations too. He didn't make like beginner's mistakes. You know, it's not like he, he left rushed. without ice. He wasn't rushed. Like he was just, he had a good crew around him and good mentors mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it showed like he just kept moving and kept moving really well. Early leader, um, on the men's side, um, did not see Jesus at mile 90. Like he did last year, Hayden Hawks. <laughs> Um, while it looked like he was cramping up a bit and having some issues, um, after about the green gate mile 80 aid station, Hayden, I think fought really valiantly to hold on to, um, second place. That's Mm -hmm. kind of where he was running for most of the race last year. And then had a little, had a long sit down, um, very late in the race, like mile 92. So I was really impressed with Hayden. I know what a competitor he is, and I know that you can't really temper that, in an athlete like Hayden. And so for him to, to finish second this year and to, I, I was, I was very happy to see that happen. That's mm-hmm. how I'll describe that.
2: Yeah. Cause he looks like he was pushing through some hard stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: and I know he's really happy with his, with mm-hmm. his result. One of my favorite things I actually looked on Instagram. I followed this like meme account, your boy, Scott Jurek. And oh, one of my yeah. favorite memes was like this meme of like, you know, basically a guy pretending to be Hayden and then like, it was basically like Hayden's reaction when all of a sudden Adam Peterman shows up and they're like coming into aid stations together. And it's like, this guy's like going along and he's just like, Oh my God, where did this guy come from? It was so funny. I think, but like Hayden did like a really good job of like, you know, executing his plan and not panicking too. So I think it's a really solid performance.
0: Yeah, it was, they seemed, the men seemed to have really good com- camaraderie out there. <laughs> um, Adam and Hayden and Arlen Glick, who was is third just spoke like, They just had such a good time out there. They chatted about fly fishing and hunting and their dads. Like they had a really great time. It sounds like truly Adam talked about how it took him forever to catch Hayden. Like, he's like, I just, I could see him and I could hear him. And it was just like, he's never going to get here. Like, where is he type of thing? So I think that they, they, um, they had some fun on Cal street before. I think Adam was ultimately just moving a lot better Mm -hmm. than Hayden at that point. Um, Arlen Glick of Ohio, he was one of my picks. Like he hasn't run a hundred slower than 15, 20, I think going into this race while he hasn't maybe been on this terrain for a lot of those races. He's clearly, he's a very calm, patient racer and has the nicest teeth. I think of anyone in the field, maybe he's. <laughs> I, I believe that, um, he comes from a Mennonite family and I don't think they drink coffee and that might explain a lot, but, um, he, yeah, just like he sat in the finish line shoot, like he got changed and then he sat in the finish line shoot for hours welcoming the the finishers coming in just giving them hugs. So I think Arlen might have we called him Arlen's darlings is oh. what people referred to his fans as in the live chat and I think we we are all Arlen's darlings now.
2: Oh, I love it. Oh. And yeah.
0: then we got the Nike boys with Tyler Green um finishing 4th in a PR. He made it under 16 hours. I think he was pretty happy to get everything he could out of his body. He, I helped Rachel take his shoes off at the finish line as he just kind of laid there. He was pretty, pretty well spent, but I think it was a good kind of spent out there. His teammate drew Holman finished in fifth Um, Ludo Pomeray um, from France. I think he's the oldest in the top. First 10 masters. at 46, first masters athlete. Um, that's something to note. The women's field had one woman under 30 in Emily Hoggood. The men had a number of 20-somethings in the top 10, um, including Adam Peterman at 26 taking the win. Um, the youngest, actually the youngest athlete in the field was Adam Peterman. Um, so just interesting that the women's field had like more masters, more 30 somethings in the top 10. The men's field had a, a few more 20-somethings thrown in the mix. Um, but Ludo was top master, 46 years old finishing a sixth, a very respectable sixth. Um, Vincent Viet, another French athlete mm-hmm. finished seventh. He ran a really great race. Yeah. He, I think he was kind of, he, I don't think he was on anyone's radar coming in and super good. Seventh place, Alex Nichols and Cody Lind had an all out. Like truly, oh, I I think all three of these guys were on the track at the same time. Like Vincent Oof. Viet was 16, 28, 22. Alex Nichols was 16, 28, 34. Cody Lynn was 16, 29, 38. And like, there was a ton of chaos at the finish line as all these so guys crazy. basically came in together. Um, I don't think I've seen anyone as happy as I've seen in Alex Nichols and Cody Lind coming back to, to once again, get those top 10 bibs going into next year. Um, just a few, like just, they were so, so happy. And then Scott Trayer, our next master's athlete, um, in his bedazzled hat and his dress shirt <laughs> and, um, his like naked sports bra pack filled of filled with ice. Um, was 10th it was a really cool like way to round up the men's field i think mm-hmm. and then um adam kimball trucky local
1: yeah fan so favorite
0: close. finished <laughs> with his baby um was 11th but it was a little bit more of a spread in the men's field back yeah. to back to 11th i think it was probably 10 or 15 minutes um but still once again 90 minutes mm-hmm. or so from first to 10th in the men's race is very tight racing
2: yeah right? whereas last year it was closer to five hours mm-hmm.
0: yeah it yeah. was spread out mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that is the racing we're going to cover this week. Our brains are mostly mashed potatoes right now, but
1: that's the year is current.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I've gotten some sleep at this point, so I'm feeling (laughs) good. I think the next thing we want to touch on before we get kind of to like those race recaps really is that we really want to touch on, um, going into these races on Friday, we all got really horrific news. Um, I know the first thing or the last thing I texted Keely before she went to bed, Friday night was that joy is a form of protest. I'm like mm-hmm. don't let this weigh you down. I know this is really sad and really scary, but joy is a form of protest that that comes from our um, our like the like pr- predominantly like people of color that that has been like a women, the women's protest within the the that population. Um, and I think that that's something that we can bring into this news right now with the overturning of Roe v Wade, which we think I think we all knew was coming. Mm-hmm. um but it was still. It was a hard way to go through Friday, I think, ahead of a big, a big race weekend for many of us. And I'm glad that a bunch of people with uteruses got to like, you know, have their own autonomy to do like to do what they wanted on Saturday out there. But I think we want to discuss a little bit like what this what this ruling means, um, because it's inextricably linked to Title IX and to transphobia and all sorts of other things that are issues within our community. And so we're gonna talk about it a little bit. Before we kind of get to our, our meat and potatoes. And so I'm wondering if one of you want to talk with kind of what the, what is the overturned ruling and then kind of what some of the fallout has been, and we can talk about some of the positive things that we're seeing in our community coming out of it as well.
2: Cool. Yeah. So Friday, I feel like we all were shocked with seeing that this come out so soon that they did decide to overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, a lot of people cite it within the Supreme Court, citing that it you know, it didn't follow the Constitution because the Constitution doesn't protect a right to the abortion. Um, so, yeah, Corinne texted me that and that stuck with me throughout the entire day. I shared it to all of my crew um, and we were all trying to really channel that joy just because obviously going into the race, that's the only thing you can do for that very day. Um, and so a lot of people think that Justice Alito um, is kind of like one of the masterminds behind overruling this. Um, and that he's been kind of integral in getting this overturned since he began on the Supreme Court, that now the states have their own jurisdiction to decide what to do about abortion. And upon releasing this, um, 13 states had kind of a what's called a trigger law in place, which means as soon as Roe v. Wade was overturned, this law would go into place because the majority of Americans clearly don't approve of this. It's kind of sad that this came to the head. But again, I guess it would be also bad if if the Supreme Court leaked something and then was also swayed by popular opinion. And that would kind of question the legal system. And so I don't know if there was a good solution here, but I don't think we wanted this to happen uh, so soon.
0: Yeah, I think, it, you know, they're trying to undermine the court, but I think the court is in a way undermining itself, right? Like it's this notion of like, what is the court good for if the court, you know, takes there's no separation of church and state in this in this sense, right, in which you've got predominantly largely religious views for most people is what what steers this kind of debate. But I think the some of the biggest fallout, right, is that it's it, talking about these trigger laws, talking about. Laws that were in effect pre row like in Wisconsin, for example, there's a law that's in effect pre row that like goes into effect. And the only reason it hasn't been a total ban right now is that Wisconsin has a Democratic governor. But because the state is so ger- gerrymandered, I'm from Wisconsin. It's very gerrymandered. Um, the like the Senate, like, the, like the, the state Senate and House are Republican run. Um, and so there's like this weird veto power that they're kind of like working out right now. And it seems really messy. But between these pre-Roe rules and, and then these trigger laws, which are almost total abortion bans. I mean, the Texas ban that went into effect last this time last year was like the heartbeat ban. Um, meaning that basically like it wasn't fetal viability anymore. That was the ban, which is 23 weeks. It was down to like six weeks type of thing, which a lot of women don't even know that they're pregnant at six weeks potentially. Um, and what that means though is that if we look at all those States that are that either have trigger laws in effect or have pre-row laws in effect, or will likely have a more stricter abortion ban um, outside of like health of the mother type of thing, which even then that gets messy in a lot of these States with ectopic pregnancies, you basically have to wait until a woman is dying to intervene, which is insane. Um, They look at the population of women or, or people who are of childbearing age in the U S or who could, who could bear a child and approximately 50% of the, of people who, fall within that childbearing um range wouldn't have access to abortion in their home state. Um which is going to put further stress on other states like California and Washington um and Montana that that do that will continue to provide abortion care. And so that's going to be I don't know I think in the short term that's going to be cause a lot of issues and in the long term it'll help alleviate some of those issues but it's it's very scary and it's very messy and it's this idea that we'll regulate certain things. And I don't know, like, we're not going to take away someone's guns, but we'll take away their right over their body. Like to me, that's just like, Oh, I know it's very political, but it's also very insane
1: yeah I mean the one thing I do want to say too is I mean, when I received this news on Friday morning, the only thing that I could do was just start crying because it has so many different implications, and you know we can go well, we can go into this later about how it affects us personally but um one thing that I do see is a little bit of hope is that when something like this happens, um there is a pushback right so why while justice Alito is is trying to i think like being a constitutional purist and the fact that he thinks that the the um the right to an abortion isn't protected against the Constitution, what we can do is like locally at the state level is that instead of, you know, having these laws that are banning abortions, we can actually pass laws. And that's 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 protection. That's not citing a a precedent of of a Supreme Court ruling that's actually passing laws in certain in certain states to protect those rights. So I do see it as a as hope that hopefully in the states where you know, we, you know, that that 85% where people are, you know, against this, that we can actually pass laws to protect it. Um, And then hopefully that can lead to some pushback on this.
0: Yeah. Cause I mean, one of the, one of our biggest concerns when this leaked, I think, was the idea that while you, like you and I, the three of us might not be directly impacted by this, we live in fairly progressive States. We are women of means. We come from family of families of means. We have a support system. Um, you know, it's we we will not be as greatly impacted as some of our listeners, as some of our friends. Um, you know, people of lower socioeconomic standing, people in the trans community, people in the non-binary community are more greatly targeted by by this kind of thing. And so, you know, I think it's it's easy to sit here and be, I mean, we'll be scared, but also to not not have to worry about it as much as um someone else where it it will gravely impact their life or their partner's life or their family's life. Um, and then we've seen this kind of immediate response. I know that I think Keely, you you pulled these like these plan B stats and those track with the Texas like heart rate ban, um, stat in which like the, I think something like out of state or out of country even purchases for like medical abortions. So the pill, pill form of abortions, like that's the sale went up exponentially in the state of Texas in the past 12, 12 months. And the same thing is being seen with um, the purchase of plan B right now, and that's having further, further fallout. I'm wondering if we can talk more, a little bit more about some of the other responses to the overturning.
2: Yeah. And I guess also like in regards to the pill or to um, the abortion pill, Um, they're still, that's still legal, right? Like you can still buy something across state lines and have it shipped in. But again, like we don't know how far some states will go and make that illegal as well. But yeah, right. Mm -hmm. As of now, that's still legal. So that's an option. And there's been a lot of stories actually, like throughout the New York times from local community moms who are like kind of taking their, their daughters or sons, high school classes under their wing and, and buying like, you know, eight to 10 different plan B pills so that they can have some for their, their friends and just to make sure that they're safe Um, and kind of doing this like community give and take where there's some women that have extra pills and maybe they'll kind of pass them around the community as they need to. Um, But this has kind of led to a really high increase in buying plan B. So there's, up 600% is a sticks restart, which is a brand of plan B since this has gone live. So that's pretty crazy, which could just further drive up the price, right? Because as demand increases, if they can't meet that demand, they're going to have to increase the price, which again, is going to let out some of those women who might've been able to afford it before that price went up, who are lower socioeconomic class, who can no longer get an abortion, Mm -hmm. that's going to further ostracize those women. Um, And so I guess another response to this is that women are talking about like traveling to other states to get abortions. Um, And that's also not illegal yet. So that is an option. And some of the states are kind of responding. And in Portland, exactly, um, Planned Parenthood is saying that they're going to be building a clinic kind of near the border of Oregon and Idaho so that they can deal with this problem. And I'm sure a lot of other states where abortion is legal are going to follow suit in this as well, because there are going to be a lot of people crossing those borders to get this done, um, especially in a healthy way. Oh, I mean,
0: the government's talking about building clinics on on federal land. So I think mm-hmm. of things like uh, reservations that are mm-hmm. that's sovereign land. So um, you know, it's it's different. Um, and I I I wonder and I hope if that will be helpful in states. It, the practitioners might still be targeted. I e, will their licenses be targeted because they are practicing within the state of Wisconsin, for example, but they are practicing on sovereign land, um, being on the reservation. And if that like if there are legal loopholes to keep practitioners from losing their licenses from being served, you know, being served legally for with, with being threatened with the, you know, the risk of going to jail. Um, I'm wondering, you know, what that looks like and kind of I I think it's being fought legally on a bunch of fronts. I know that there are current battles going on in in Utah, um, trying to kind of like, I guess, hang up some of these things. There are DAs in Texas um, that are actively, fighting this. Um, I was sent a link today by Ladia and Elizabeth Carey, who you guys will get to hear more from in the coming weeks um, about a DA in Travis County, Texas named Jose Jose Garza, who has publicly refused to prosecute anyone seeking an abortion under SB 8. Um, and there are several other DAs that have, have done the same. And I think that is really powerful, right? To have people in these states where these laws are going into effect to say, I'm not I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to prosecute this. Like, that's not fair. That's not, that's not right. And I think that that is, to me, these are beacons of kind of hope in what seems like a really murky, dark time.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the same went in Utah too, where a judge actually blocked the state's near total abortion ban from going into effect for like 14 days to kind of allow time for the, like the court to hear the challenges from the community to the Straits trigger law. So that maybe that's also hopeful for, for Utah as well.
0: And I think um we're gonna kind of round out some of this and then we'll kind of move on from there. But you know, there are companies like Aura Ring. Um Keely and I sent a text back and forth. is fighting a giant spider in her <laughs> office right now. She's freaking out. I'm not sure if we're gonna leave this in or not, but Keely's currently losing it in her office. <laughs>
2: I think I got it. Sorry. Okay. I hate spiders.
0: Okay. I do too. But your face was just people watching the YouTube are gonna wanna are gonna wanna tune into that part because we leave it in. It was uh it was great. But there are companies <laughs> that are, I think, another beacon of hope, right? Are there companies like so like Aura Ring, who we work with? Um, a difference between like Aura Ring and Whoop is that you own your data with Aura Ring versus Whoop, you don't have access to your raw data. And in a moment like this, in which we use Aura Ring for menstrual for menstrual and like fertility tracking, um they have promised that that is your data it's not anyone else's data they're not going to sell it to anyone that they are here to protect your data and protect your information um and based on our ability to access raw data from them like as opposed to them owning owning us and owning our data like that to me is like heck yeah you're doing it right like big big thumbs up pat on the back type of thing
2: yeah couldn't be prouder to wear my aura ring after i read that
0: yeah. Yeah, and then there are a lot of companies that have come forward. Starbucks, Tesla, Yelp, um, all sorts of people have come forward and said that they will help their employees who live in states where abortions might be. There might be a total ban on abortions to travel to a state where, um, or for their spouse to travel to a state, right? Because it's not. It's it can be. You know, it's not just just who the who is employed um, to seek an to seek an abortion. We actually got an email from CTS. This week, um, while most of our employees are in Colorado and in um, and in Washington and in California, we do have employees in North Carolina and Utah and other places where they might be impacted by this. And they said, "Hey, like, what we can do is we can we can provide up to two thousand dollars to help you or your spouse if if needed. Like, please let us know um, over you know over the you know coming months, weeks, months, years. Um, I, I know Adidas just did the same thing as well." Offering that to employees while most of the employees reside in a place like Oregon Um, with remote work, we're kind of everywhere right now. So it's uh, good to see companies stepping forward. And then my last spiel about this is that I think it's really important to normalize abortion. One of the stats that really stood out to me this week was that one in four women will seek abortion care in their lifetime. And I shared this with Keely and, and Hillary ahead of time to not surprise them. It's not something I've talked about very publicly or with anyone. Cause it's, you know, my body, my choice. Um, but a decade ago, basically as of this summer, a decade ago, um, as a young 21, 22 year old, um, I needed an abortion and I was talking to a really good friend recently and telling her this. And she said like, I'm so happy you chose you 10 years ago. Like, I'm so happy you chose you. And I think that, um, that's really important that I had that decision it's really important that like, I was not in an emotional financial, I was not in college at the time. Like I was trying to protect my spot on the national team. Like I had these, you know, these Olympic goals and dreams. And, um, to have this surprise that, that I was not ready for, um, being able to choose and make that choice for me was really, really important. And while I don't regret that decision, I regret that I did it totally alone. That I didn't want to tell my teammates, my coaches, my friends, um, my parents, like no one, like I had to do it completely alone because I don't think it was shame, but I think it was this, like, I didn't want to have to explain myself to anyone. And I regret that I haven't been able to talk about it. And I think for me, those are, it's not this, it's not the shame or guilt over that decision. It's that society makes us feel like those decisions aren't valid, and that people should get to weigh in on those decisions. And while we've talked about the leak of Roe v. Wade, we've I've I've had people reach out to me, um, kind of expressing a similar a similar feeling and a similar experience. And I think it's really important to you're not that's like to know that you're not alone, and that it's not uncommon, and that you shouldn't feel guilty or ashamed about it. And while this is not meant to shock or awe anyone, I think that my goal in like very publicly telling people this right now is that it kind of feels like a me too. Like it's it's one of those things where it's like, it's hard to believe that your friends have been sexually harassed or assaulted. It's hard to believe that the people that you care about have had to go through, um, have, have, have had to seek abortion care. But the truth of the matter is that it's incredibly common and that by living in the shadows and by not talking about it, it like continues to, to extend that shame that is like totally internalized on other young, other young women. Um, So that's me. I want to know, I want you to know that I'm a face of that too, and that you're not alone and that you're heard and that you're seen and that uh, my DMS are always open, I guess is the continuation of that. But it's, it's one of those things where I just like, I think it's important to normalize it because it's not, it's not people that you don't know or don't understand. It's people that are in your life more than likely. So uh, be kind. What the last thing I'll say is that I distinctly remember hearing about a college or a high school classmate. I think I was a sophomore in college. And I remember hearing through the grapevine, maybe from my parents, even that she'd gotten pregnant and that she had to get an abortion. And I just remember it was like this, like, Oh my goodness, like juicy gossip, like taboo. And instead of like, that was the reaction as opposed to like, Oh my goodness. Like, I hope she's okay. (laughs) Like that must be so scary And I hope that she's okay. And that must have been a hard decision. And I hope that she's okay. And so I think that like that's the narrative that I want to change: is that it's not taboo. It's not this thing that needs to be hush hush or in secret. Like you make the right choices for you. You tell who you want to tell, and you like, and you protect yourself. But it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be like salacious. It should be, wow, that sounds really scary and really hard. And I hope that you're okay. So I hope anyone listening to this is okay. And if you need someone, we're in your corner.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah there's a woman behind that abortion you know
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah we're a, like i'm a statistic in a way but there's i'm also a person
2: so mm-hmm. yeah well the ending of our results we'll go through some statistics for everybody um but the women who have we talked about last year. Or last, last week. <laughs> um, We have over half of the FKT set for 2022 are by women this year. So hats off to women who FKT. Their initiative is definitely working, and they're getting more women out there setting new FKTs. So that is so joy. The weekend that is so cool.
0: Joy in the form of protest. I think is what we're going to all carry with us all <laughs> summer long. Uh huh. There was a cool grant initiative too that you pulled up, and there was another one that we'll piggyback off of this in a second. Can you tell us a little bit about the Trail Trail Sisters? and uh, TNF collaboration?
2: Sure. Yeah. So back in 2021, Trail Sisters in the North Face kind of started this initiative where they gave 40 mothers $140 for um, childcare. However, this year they upped that and they're actually giving away 20 grants of $400 for 2022 to help cover some of those childcare expenses that women need so that they can get out and train and get out and adventure and get out and have some time by themselves. And so I really like what they're doing there because one of the biggest things that holds women up is, is having to deal with their children because that's a big time commitment. And so being able to at least give them a little bit of extra money to help, help do that lift uh, is pretty awesome. So hats off to trail sisters in North face.
0: Yeah. And a cool thing that came up recently because USA track and field nationals outdoor nationals just happened in um, Eugene, Oregon. And, um, Allison Felix partnered with the um and mother mm-hmm. organization and they provided free childcare for um women compete families competing at um USA track and field nationals. And I thought that was really cool. And the And Mother organization is just doing a phenomenal job being present and being part of that. And when I saw that, when I saw that post and that Allison Felix was partnering with them for that initiative at USA's, I was blown away with with like their initiative, but also the fact that women are helping women, right. That like women, like no one else is like, it's like the rescue is not coming except rescue is like each other. And I really just like it. It made me feel all the feels knowing that they were taking care of one another at USA's last weekend. That's all I got. Are we ready to meet? Are we ready to meet and potatoes? We kind of mashed potatoes our mashed potatoed our way through uh, news and some heavy topics, but Maybe the thing that you, you all are actually here for is to listen to us talk a little bit more about what went what went down at Western States and what went down at San Juan Solstice. Um, because I think there are always lessons to be learned when we find success and when we don't find success. Um, and so we're going to start with Keeley's Western States 100. Um, People who watch the live stream probably heard me near hysterical, um, maybe in tears of joy, watching Keely climb into the devil's thumb aid station, basically right with Emily Hawgood and Ruth Croft, um, only to have her day end not that much further up the trail. Um, and so Keely, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about what happened out there and then we'll kind of talk you through some other race specific questions.
2: Yeah. So I think, I mean, I've had a lot of time to think back on this now because it's been a couple of days and, and I've had nothing to do. So <laughs> I've got to think a lot about it. And, and, you know, one of the things that I went into this race doing was, was really nailing all of the things I could control because last year I didn't control much. So I went in super naive. I didn't control my fueling. I didn't control my crew. I didn't control my cooling. And, and that resulted in, you know, not the best race. And so this year I practice a lot of things that I can control. So I went in with this controlled mindset and, and while that's a really good thing to have going into an ultra, it's also, you know, a little bit of a bad thing going into an ultra because we do these, these races because there's also an aspect that we can't control. Right. And so I guess, you know, going through the race, I felt super in control, which was a really cool feeling. I felt in control of everything from my fueling to my cooling, to seeing my crew, to my race strategy and, and was feeling awesome. Like I ran the first 12 miles, really strong, had a little bit of a hiccup there where I sprained my ankle kind of in the high country. Um, and you know, it was bad, but nothing crazy. Again, I still felt in control. It was runnable. It was angry for a couple of miles, but I continued on and just, used it as a way to treat myself to the downhills a little slower and to keep my quads fresher for later in the race. So I didn't think too much of it. Um, but that was always still something I was noticing on the downhills. But again, as I was running, I was doing everything else I could do. So I was fueling, being super excited to see everybody. Like it was joy, right? It was absolutely incredible. I was running within myself, not thinking about anybody else. And with the fitness that I had, I was running super well and I was just super happy. Um, but then, yeah, I I was running up. Devil's thumb. Again, feeling really great. I was looking forward to the canyons, which is really crazy to say. But like I'd been doing so many workouts from my t- my coach Tyler, where I was climbing these crazy mountains during, you know, really hot days or really rainy days and all these things that really tested me mentally. That once I got to the canyons in the race, I was excited just for some uphill. Um and so yeah, I, I climbed the first one, descended the first one pretty well, climbed the first one pretty well, and then descended into the second one, still keeping myself pretty controlled laying off the gas a little bit on the downhills as I'd been doing just because that ankle was a little finicky. Um, and then, you know, as you're babying an ankle, I find you are more likely to sprain it again. Um, and actually since doing this, I've actually looked it up your reaction time to correct a sprain also goes down when it's already sprained. <laughs> Fun fact. Um, but yeah, so I was about a mile and a half from the aid station at the bottom of the second Canyon, right when it kind of turns into those switchbackies downhills. Um, And just rocked it like so hard that I almost fell over and, you know, got up like, okay, that was really stupid. That's my second time. Like I need to chill and like immediately just tried to run. And it was just this jarring pain, super unstable ankle. That was just like this shooting pain medially that just felt completely wrong. Um, but again, I was trying to stay optimistic. I was like, okay, let's just get down to the aid. Like there's only a couple miles of downhill left. So I kind of, you know, jog walked my way down, gimping over the rocks, um, kind of limped through the aid station, filled up my water and then was like, okay, but I think I'll be able to run some of this uphill. Um, because that, that Canyon is like the one where you kind of run some hike some, right. It's not all hiking. It's not nearly as steep as the first one. Um, and as soon as I tried to start running, I realized there was like no way I could even wait it going uphill. It was just this insane pain on the medial side. And I was just like pretty certain, or at least concerned, that I had done some serious, serious damage because I've I've broken an ankle in the past. And so I walk up that whole canyon, um, pretty certain that I'm not going to continue because I just I've been in this boat before where I kind of know what a sprained ankle feels like and what something worse than that feels like. And it did not feel like a sprain anymore. And I just, I couldn't run without just excruciating pain and without a limp. And so got to the aid station, met the most lovely physical therapist I've ever met in my entire life. Shout out
0: to the crew and of the volunteers out there. Many of them have volunteered for five, 10, 15, 20 years at these aid stations. Mm-hmm. If you want good mm-hmm. medical, you want good PTs, you want good volunteers. It's Western, Western States, States has got it all.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And her name was Tanya. She's this lovely physical therapist who flies herself on her own diamond every year from Florida to come help with this race because she loves it so much. Um, and she was basically in tears for me as we kind of navigated the, like what to do. Right. She was, she was like, okay, I'm pretty sure it's not broken, but again, like, we don't know hundred percent anything, but we think we can, you know, tape you up and we'll see how that works and taped me up. And it was not really any better, still unable to run. And me, her and my crew, we kind of just hashed it out for like an hour of like, what is the goal of my race? How is my ankle feeling? Am I able to run? Am I willing to walk 45 miles to finish this and potentially damage it more? And ultimately, like at the end of the day, I decided to call it because I couldn't, I couldn't run a step more. We were and, getting texts yeah. from,
0: from Jason Coop and from Topher Gaylord who were, were out at Michigan Bluff where, where this, where this decision was being made. And I think Topher's text read something to the effect of like, everyone's in tears. Like I'm in tears, like everyone, like the whole aid station is in tears for, for Keeley right now. And so it was, I don't know that any race besides Western States brings that out of <laughs> everyone out there. Um, mm-hmm. everyone is so invested in getting every runner through the race and and to have their best days. And so to get that text from Topher was devastating for us to hear um, because we were biased, but unbiased in our journalistic intentions of doing the live broadcast. But it was, it, we knew that that was a really hard decision and it was really clear that it had been like very much, very thought through because the last footage we got of you was like you and JT and you, like you kind of working in your way across the aid station. And then we didn't hear anything for a long time and then got that news. And we were like, Oh, mm-hmm. okay. And the next thing I saw was Jeffrey Stern at like 1am. Um, and I was like, how is Keely? And he's like, we're already talking about what golden ticket race we're going to next year. And so let's kind of like work through this idea. Like we're going to, we're going to get to that point of your story, right? Mm -hmm. The, like what golden ticket race, like the fire has been relit type of thing. Mm -hmm. But what about this idea of like, I I really, this is beautiful. You put it in the show notes, this idea of joy and pain that they can coexist at the same time. And like, how, how, how are you processing kind of the last three days have seemed a little rough but that you're in a, you're in a much better place right now. Like, how are you processing the joy of like running a brilliant 50 miles and, the the pain of knowing that your day ended before you wanted it to, and then how are you going to be moving forward kind of out of that?
2: Yeah. So one person that really, really helped me with this was my, my like crew chief, Danielle Snyder, who's she's been on the podcast. She's absolutely incredible. Um, And one thing she just kept reminding me is that like, we're allowed to feel all of these things, even if they're contradictory to one another. So it's like, yeah, I, I was in there feeling absolute joy because this experience was incredible, but I also felt like huge heartbreak. And it also felt like, you know, totally unfair out of my control, unreal. But at the same time, there was a part of me that was saying like, oh, I could have tightened my shoe earlier. I could have done more PT. I could have been tougher. I could have, you know, done all of these things. Right. And so there's all of these conflicting emotions that are just kind of beating down at you. Um, and I think at the end of the day, I just had to accept that they were all thoughts and they were all valid thoughts mm-hmm. that I had. Um, and that was kind of what shaped the day. And and while some of them were super painful and some of them were really, really exciting and really happy, like they all deserve their own little place. And so obviously it didn't happen overnight. Like everybody I saw that day, if, if I knew them and they asked me what happened, I just burst into tears because It was real and it was raw. And I think a lot of people pride us for being tough in this sport. And, and I think we're really tough. I think there's so many people that are really tough. I still think I'm really tough, but I think it's also really smart and really healthy to embrace when things are not fun and really hard as well. And that doesn't make us less tough, right? It it makes us human. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of just let myself feel everything. And I think oh, after a couple of days, I'm I'm now just able to like reflect on it and be like, you know what? I crushed what I could control. I crushed the first 55 miles. I loved every minute of it until I sprained my ankle that second time. And, and that's what I learned that year. I learned mm-hmm. that I could do what I was planning to do. Um, so I'll just have to go back and <laughs> next year and, and actually do it. So.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I think it's, you know, we talked before we got, before we hit record about, you know, things are a little TBD. You're, you're working on figuring out that ankle and we, we are all rooting for you, but just kind of to, to finish up a few more of those thoughts about the race too, just kind of like, so obviously your body felt good. You were staying cool. The Canyon climbing was no big deal, which we love to hear. Good job coach Tyler. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, like you, you've talked a lot specifically this year about not under fueling and really trying to nail your race day fueling. Um, you, you inspired a bunch of our listeners to crush their fueling based on how many mm-hmm. gels you consumed at Gorge 50 <laughs> K. So Western States is a notorious race for being hard on the stomach. Um, you know, obviously your day ended early, but how was, were you crushing your fueling goals for that first bit of the race?
2: Yeah, I was absolutely crushing my fueling goals, which nice. is like, Awesome. Because I actually increased my fueling for the high country because I'm a lowlander. So I was trying to consume a little bit more than normal. And then, yeah, I kept eating and tried to make myself at least have one bite, even if it was like a sort of a moderate sized bite of real food whenever I saw my crew. Um, And really just was prioritizing keeping fueling and not having an excuse to my crew to be like, oh, shoot, I forgot to eat all my food you know, cause I think it's easy to do that. Sometimes you get so caught up in it. And then all of a sudden fueling becomes like the scapegoat, which mm-hmm. obviously there's other reasons why fueling can go wrong too. But I think sometimes it's it's easy to forget and then it's easy to blame instead of using it as a way to kind of dig yourself out of that hole. And so, yeah, I was really crushing the fueling. Um, I was actually telling someone <laughs> at the beginning of the race that I had to finish my entire pack or my sister said she would like I don't even remember what she said she would do. She's like, if you get here and your pack's not empty, I'm gonna be so mad at you. <laughs> and so that's I was like, that's the kind my goal? crew
0: we want. I love <laughs> yeah. it. I think, um, I think it's a really good spot for us to drop the other hint we've been talking about um, <laughs> over the course of the last couple of weeks. Is that beyond Athletic Greens, the other the other really cool um, sponsor that we're excited to work with for the re- remainder of the year to keep us not just fueled during our races, but more so fueled all the rest of the time. Um, it's this company called the feed. It's a group that Hillary, our very own Hillary Allen has been working with all season. Um, and while we are just getting started with them, I'm wondering before we, before we hear about Hilly's, um, amazing run at San Juan Solstice, I'm just wondering if Hilly, you could give us a little a little tidbit on what the feed is and what our listeners should know about about the feed
1: yeah. I mean, and the cool thing with the feed is I've I've had the pleasure of working with them this year and I know you both are familiar with them, but it's kind of like your one-stop shop for, for everything like an endurance athlete needs. Like I, of course I do a lot of, of different sports, right. Um, so racing, um, running, but also on a bike, I can, I feel very differently. And in the past it was a little bit difficult for me to kind of stay within one nutrition brand because i can basically eat like a whole meal on a bike and still like do really well um or you know with running i was a little bit more finicky and so working with the feed has kind of been a game changer for me because i can pick the sport i'm doing then i can pick my fuel so i can pick the hydration the gels um recovery i um this is tools or even you know different kinds of shakes they have you know supplements and, and breakfast replacement meals too as well. Um, and I can kind of create my own personalized fuel box. Um, but that's what I really love so I can like mix and match. I mean I just I just kind of highlighted some things that I was consuming for my Salmon solstice race. Um, and it was a variety of different gels and I was, I've been able to try out some new brands i had never been able to try before, like never second. Um and they have energy gels but also um hydration mixes and I can kind of mix and match that with goo roctane as well as scratch labs that I've used in the past, um spring energy um and joj bars. Um it's kind of it's awesome. So I've been a little bit
0: of everything.
1: Everything, like literally, I thought I was just one person that would use like the same gels over and over again, right? Because that's like kind of what I had practiced in the past, but then. I was always kind of get, uh, especially after a hot race or something, maybe I had a bad experience on the course. Like maybe I'd blame it on the nutrition and I'd be like, I'm sick of this flavor. I can't use it anymore. And now I have the freedom to kind of test a bunch of different products and see what really works. Um, And it's been awesome. One thing I have to mention though, is like it's local here in Boulder. And so I've been able to actually try local nutrition companies like this brand called Honey Bunchies. It's literally like honey and like nuts. It's like the best thing ever. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I could get, you could get those all from the feed. So, um, and it's awesome because, uh, it's just, it's like a one-stop shop. So you guys can use it for, you know, your, we your can mix and match, started.
0: right? We can, exactly. we can we're, we're goo for life, but <laughs> if we want that, we want some breakfast oatmeal. Mm-hmm. If we want some uh, recovery, recovery, tools, recovery yeah. tools, there's some balls. I, we, we get to kind of create our own boxes every month moving forward. And I'm excited to kind of mix and match and, mm-hmm. and try some different things as we, mm-hmm. as we roll forward with them, but we'll, put a link in our show notes, um, for you to go give the feed a try as well, but it's kind of nice since, you know, you can get all your stuff in one place. And I think with that, Hilly, we just <laughs> want to hear a little bit more about San Juan's, about San yeah. Juan's justice.
1: Well, I mean, to talk about nutrition also, I crushed it. Um, nice. I, Yes. I was so happy because, you know, there was I was panicking a little bit because it's at high altitude. Like the lowest part on the course is in Lake city and Lake city is at eight, six and you immediately start climbing. So you climb up to 13,000 feet and you top out at 13,300 feet okay. and you're, you're on the continental divide slash Colorado trail for 10 to 12 miles. And these are kind of in some meaty sections of the course, like between mile 23 and like 30, five. So like you kind of undulate up around there. Um, And yeah, so what was like, I was practicing, you know, altitude running, um, practicing my nutrition, but sometimes you never know if you're pushing a little bit too hard and what'll go wrong. But I was able to consume 200 to 250 calories an hour, like throughout the whole thing. I thought of you at the the end, like the last like 30 minutes, I'm like taking this gel, let's go. And, uh, it was, it was really cool.
0: (laughs) That's so important. I would be, I'd be mush at that point. I think I did Going at altitude is hard. It's so hard.
1: And I didn't like feel nauseous. I didn't throw up. There was like one, one point when I got a little bit sick of like, I just wanted pure water, like ice cold water, just because it was kind of hot. I didn't want like, you know, usually have one bottle with scratch and one with, um, with water. And so I didn't really want the scratch thing, but um, still, I was able to consume gels to the very end. I actually told my parents were there, um, they were playing like crewing for me. And so I told them, I was like, check my pack, make sure that everything's empty. So that was also like a goal of mine to make sure that everything that I put in there, I had um, consumed, but that was a really big confidence booster. And I say, like, I know I like raced in one solstice and ran a fast time, but I was Thinking about UTMB during this race, because that's always very um, it's a long distance, hundred miles. And I think the fueling that I and that strategy, like if I had to keep going, I definitely could. And I think it was because of the nutrition. And um, my recovery has been on point. And I have to say it's because of, it's because of the race day nutrition.
0: So I've got a question for both of you, and this kind of tees up something that Keely mentioned. Before this idea of like thinking you're tough and thinking you're durable and having that kind of shattered. And it's I'm wondering, obviously, you know, Keely, you're kind of actively working through this right now. And Hillary, you did work through this last year at, at UTMB. You had that really scary moment where you stepped on a rock mm-hmm. funny and you felt your foot and you said oh no.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: you you ended up pulling out of the race, you know, before I think any of us anticipated something that might happen. And so I'm wondering, you know, from both of you, Keely, where you're sitting right now, and Hillary, you know, kind of having worked back from from wondering if you're tough enough, you know, how, like, how does Sam on solstice play into that as far as like this being another, another like kind of brick in the wall of the foundation of being like, yes, I am tough. Yes, I am durable. Yes, I can do hard things. Um, and then Keely will kind of ruminate on, on where you're sitting still right now.
1: Oh man, Corinne, you're going to make me cry because um, I told, I told Keely that I might cry in this episode because <laughs> Oh man, I'm going to do it, but, um, (laughs) it just hit me so hard. Like, um, damn it. Um, but like hearing Keely, like knowing how much effort and like work you put into your recovery. Like I felt that last year when I was recovering from my foot break and I felt so fit going into UTMB. And then for something to happen like that, that you can't control. And then it just ends your race. Like I was just like, I was just gutted for you. Like, I know how that feels, but you know, what I can say, you know, hindsight is kind of 2020. Like I thought I rebroke my foot. I, you know, took some time off and then I didn't have another race until like a couple months later. And it really fueled my fire. And then I had one of the best races of my entire life, like at Madeira. And, um, I've been feeling like being able to work with my coach and like really seeing, um, Like I have this mantra, like believe your best athletic days are ahead of you. And that might seem silly in a world where like one day I'm not going to be PRing and like running my fastest times, but whatever, I'm still going to believe it for forever because you're constantly evolving as an athlete and as in a person. And, you know, four years ago, I wouldn't have had the strength to pull out to UTMB. I would have just gutted it out and like maybe had something more severe. And now You know, I have been running things and and times and workouts I never have done even before I broke my foot, before I had that crazy accident. So it's and running Sam on solstice is part of that. Like I I never thought that you know I would be able to do to perform like I wanted to or to push my body like I wanted to. And I think if you give yourself the space to heal in times when you know you're kind of forced to life has a way of working it out but I think it's also life has a way of working out it's like I'm it's not saying like a higher power or something like this. I'm just saying it gives you the space to create even like a like a desire of a different shape that can like consume every like pore in your body. And I think that it just makes you want it and it makes you want to work harder but like work smarter I think. And um watch out world because, uh, you know, Keely, I think you're gonna, you know, it's, it's when something like this happens, I think it's, uh, it's kind of scary, uh, the next levels that you can reach. So.
0: Yeah. Ke- mm-hmm. Keely, I was going to say like, while Hilly kind of talks about that, that fire being lit. You still might be in like the kindling stage of the fire. I'm Let wondering it simmer. how does yeah. the that flow on it? You'll be simmering.
2: <laughs> you know, I think, uh, this opened up a lot of things for me in terms of the simmering, because I don't think I'm quite simmering yet because I've had a lot of injuries, right? Like I'm feel like I'm constantly injured. Um, And a lot of the injuries in the past were self-inflicted. They were, I was overtraining, I was undernourished, my bones were breaking, right? It was, my body was protesting and those injuries in hindsight make sense. And so I say it will, it will be a little bit of a journey for me to gain the mental capacity to accept that this one was outside of my control and not self-inflicted and be okay with that and realize that that doesn't make me like more prone to injury or make me unable to keep running or make my body broken um, because that's where my mind goes. And so it's been a little bit of a journey to like remind myself that. That's not necessarily the case this time, um, but I do feel the embers like burning a little bit. And so I, I can tell that, that they'll come back, but it might take a little bit of like mental health, mental health help. Um, I've definitely talked to a therapist recently, and I think just picking his mind around how to reframe mine to not classify myself as someone who's prone to injury or whose brought body doesn't work anymore because that's sometimes what it feels like, right? Like you're the fittest you've ever been in your entire life. You're doing everything right. You're fueling, you're recovering, you're doing all these things. And then your body breaks and you're like, "Now I got to build myself back up again. And so, yeah, I mean, that didn't really answer your question, but that's my rant.
0: No, I think that's, I think that's a okay place to be, right? Like as Danielle told you, like all these feelings are really valid. I think it's okay to sit in them and sit with them. I've got to tell athletes all the time, like go sit on a rock and like cry it out. Like that is, that is cathartic as a swear word that I'll not say, because I was informed this week that children listen to our podcast fairly frequently. Hi children out there listening to us right now. Um, but it, it's cathartic, right? To need you need to sit in that stuff, I think, to build back. And I think it's really, it's really hard to trust your body again after an injury, particularly one that's like both the ones that are out of your control and the ones that are in control. Like that's really hard because you you built trust back in your body again after these other injuries. And now you kind of have this freak accident, right? And and now and it's like, oh, I better rebuild this trust again. Um, I think that it's really great to hear that. You're like, I'm working with someone, I'm talking to someone about this. And I think it's really important to highlight that like therapy is really important, mm-hmm. um, for any of us and all of us. And I'm glad that you've got a team around you, a people, you've got your coach, you've got Danielle, you've got JT, you've got your therapist, like you've got all sorts of people and you've got JD. Who I'm sure is so Mm -hmm. happy that you're home. Yeah. Um, Those, like, that's all really important to hear. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. I I mean, Danielle's advice was the best, but I will say that JT's was second because he said, no matter what, Jade hasn't heard about any of this. She has no clue what happened. Doesn't matter because she's going to love you just the same. (laughs) I love that. I love that. It's like, I think that's so pertinent. Like, we just need to take our names and put it in place of JD, right? Because at the end of the day, like, we're allowed to grieve it, Mm -hmm. but then we need to put it away. And we need to like love ourselves just the same. So yeah,
0: it's that self-worth aspect, right? Like I've had that talk with little junior biathlete kid. I was being like, are your parents still going to love you? Independent of how many targets you hit or miss? Yeah. Okay. Like you're fine. So I think that that's important to remember is that it's, it might feel devastating and it is devastating, but it's not your self-worth. It's not, it's not your value as a human. And you're going to come back. The cliche: you're going to come back stronger, and we're going to be rooting for you. But I think there's a lot of truth in that, right? Like you are yeah. going to come back stronger, and we are going to be rooting for you. So mm-hmm. it's going to be a journey, but we're along for it. You guys are going to hear all about it it's over so the coming weeks and months. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna have ankle updates. and It's gonna be the Keeley ankle yep. update hour. Perfect, That's delightful. <laughs> um, I think we're ready to move on to Society Slam, round things out, send people yep. off to their evening their evening calls before we're done, as always. <laughs> Uh, Society Slam is brought to you by Aura Ring, who we love even more with their stance they've taken this week. I think that is really, really important um, to reiterate how much we stand behind their product and what they're doing, and they want to continue to protect um, people with uteruses, people who can get pregnant, and people whose data might be wanted by their state or federal government. So um, thank you, Aura for that. And Keely, you wrote that your readiness score was a whopping 40. Was that Was that when you woke up post- post Western States.
2: So that was actually my number before States. Cause like I slept like four hours the night before, yeah. but then it was, it went up to a 42 the day after States. And so I I'm back to eighties, but it was like 40, 42, 50 for three days, which is so bad, but it was also <laughs> indicative of how I felt, especially those two days after States. Cause you're not sleeping super well. Mm-hmm. At least I wasn't. Cause all I was, I was thinking about was the race. Um, and it was really hot. So I like can't sleep super well in the heat. And so my, my ring, let me know.
0: And I think it's really important to to kind of reiterate this because we do have people that are like doing things like purchasing an O-ring or whatnot and are monitoring things like readiness scores or their heart rate variability. It's not a, it's not, it is, it is a fairly perfect metric, but what I want to say is heart rate variability. Like I, I would, I would caution people to like use metrics when they need them and not when they don't like going on a metric cleanse in and around a big race might be a really good idea. Cause you don't want to know that you you're in the red race morning. There's no value yep. added to your life by seeing that. And the truth of the matter is, is that like, we know via taper that actually your heart rate variability can drop. So that's probably mm-hmm. where that number comes from. Um, it's probably not indicative of like a poor performance coming up, but so maybe consider, uh, using it wisely in a, yep. a periodic metric cleanse for when, uh, you don't want to, influence more stress yeah. on i looked life.
2: back on mine i did not look the night the morning Good. before the race that's that is just strength definitely not <laughs>
0: yeah. um okay hilly you're just you're first in the order on my on my google docs so and now you have to go first what is your society slam
2: oh sweet so
1: um it was amazing so okay the San one solstice is a race that i've always wanted to do when I've either been like had a different race or was in Europe. And so I come to the check-in station at Lake city, which is this teeny tiny town. Um, (laughs) uh, it's close to Silverton for people who know hard rock, but, um, so Lake city, Colorado, and I come to the check-in table. It's like by the library in this like open little field. And, um, I say my name and this woman just gets so excited. She says that she's a teacher at this local school and she pulls out my book and she's like, I had this student, she's a local cross country runner. And like, I came into class and she was reading your book and she's a trail runner and does the race every year. And so I got to sign, um, her book, but the coolest thing is, is I got to meet Kate. She's a local runner in Lake city and she broke her ankle. And so she heard about my book and she started reading it during her recovery and she said that they, um, had inspired her so much to like be really diligent with her recovery and she's doing so well that she's getting ready to run. She's only missed one season. She's getting ready to do cross country the fall. And it was so cool. Cause I also got to see her like volunteering at the race station, uh, like, uh, during the race at the aid station. I don't think that she realized that I would recognize her as so, like coming through. I was like, Hey Kate, like giving her high fives, um, and it was great. And she she listens to the podcast, and she, she says she loves it. So uh, shout out to you
2: guys too, Keely,
0: What do you what do you have? You got you got a special message? I to do. Share?
2: I do. So okay, picture this: two girls, maybe between the ages of two and five, wearing backward trucker hats, uh, hydration vests, and like cute little girl clothes. All right, running around screaming. Girls can do this too while watching the Western States live film. Um, and this was a message I got from their father who said that they're running around saying that they're going to run States one day because they know that other girls can do it. And that he's just so proud that he like can introduce them to the sport and that there's women in the sport right now who are good role models for his own daughters to, to look up to. And so. It's working guys might just be two girls right now, but you know it's it's gonna be more and so I just love getting that and and knowing that we we can infiltrate the minds of of girls and hopefully change that narrative and get more girls to to try these sports that they can totally do that's,
0: that's so cool that's so that's so cool I think there was a there I got a message similar to that and it's not my slam, but I'll quickly say that someone's like how does it feel to 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 now you know ten years from now or fifteen years from now when they're interviewing someone Pre Western States and be like, well, how'd you get into trail running? And they're going to be like, I heard Dylan and Corinne on the live broadcast and I knew I had to do this, like that we will be their earliest memory in trail and ultra, which makes me feel really old very quickly. But, um, akin to that, what I want to do is I want to thank everyone that came up to me at Western States or broken arrow, and exclaimed some, some variety of, we love the podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, I got to meet a bunch of really cool people, really amazing fans of, of ours. And we're fans of you guys, I think is what you probably all don't realize is that it means a lot to us to hear that feedback that we are, we are infiltrating your homes, including like, Oh, our kids know who you are. Like our, like we put the YouTube up on the TV or like we listen to you out loud. And you know our kid, our kids listen, and, and we recognize you, and we've had emails like that too of, of from dads who are sharing the podcast with their with their ten and eleven year old daughters, and to me that is what is really special about what we're doing is that you you all are listening and you're hearing us, and we're helping you guys have these conversations in your home and with your families and with your friends, and that's why we do it, and so I just want to give a big, huge, giant like, thank you to everyone who has, who has been like, Hey, we like what you're doing because it makes doing it even better and even easier and with a lot more energy. So thank you to everyone who's listening. Thank you to everyone who shares this with their friends, with their family. Um, We couldn't do it without you. And so without further ado, we're going to bid you adieu, I guess for today. So slide into our DMS, keep, keep sharing, keep sharing the podcast, and we'll see you on the trail soon.